Self-advocacy is so important in special education, but how do you make that happen? That's exactly why I brought our guest, Catherine Hughes, to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine, and I can't wait to dive in to this tough topic of making sure that all children have a voice. Catherine, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Catherine. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it's hard. Catherine and Catherine. Okay, here Catherine we go. And Catherine. Catherine squared. <laughs> there we go. I got it. I got it. All right. So let's start with how did you end up at an IEP table? Wasn't easy. <laughs> it was a long journey to get to that table. Um, I will start with how we got our diagnosis and kind of what brought us up into that point. So my son was diagnosed at about three and a half, and it was not a traditional doctor says there's something to be concerned about let's get an evaluation and let's see what's happening here. That was not at all my story. My story begins with a community incident where my son was engaging in a lot of self-stim and self-injurious behaviors and truly having a meltdown. But for those of us who are walking through a store or a restaurant or anywhere in public, what is the first thing that comes to our mind even today? It's what's she doing? What's wrong with that mother? what's really going on behind closed doors? And that is exactly what they thought during this community incident where my son was engaging in these behaviors and having a total meltdown. What they thought they saw was a child being abused. And the short version that I explain in full length in my book, In Prison No More, is that I was placed under arrest because somebody thought they saw a child being abused. What they don't know is earlier that day, I was at a specialist appointment with my son and my family members. And we were told at that appointment, you need to go home and make a phone call to the local children's hospital. He needs an evaluation. There is some sort of developmental delay, this behavior. He said to me to my face, Kathy, your child is not normal. That's what he said to me. So here's this incident. My son is then taken from my arms, taken from my parents' custody because since I lived at home with them, they would not return him to even their custody without doing their due diligence legally. So I sat behind bars for several days and I was charged with terroristic threats for raising my voice. I was charged with abuse on a minor. Not a mark was on my son. But because of what people thought they saw, not one person, Catherine, came up to me and said, do you need something? How can I help? Not one. They jumped to conclusions. So at this point, my son is out of my care and I'm behind bars facing these charges. It wasn't until I was released, he was returned home under my parents' legal custody that we went to our first child and family court hearing and they said, there's something going on here. We are ordering an evaluation. So you're not sitting on waiting list. You need to find out what's going on with your son. It was at that appointment that I was told, Kathy, you are the mother of a child with autism. All I knew, Catherine, of autism at that time was what I saw in a college class. And what we saw was clips of Rain Man and a clip from a 2020 news segment. That's all I knew about autism. All I knew up until this point was I knew something was wrong. I was a young mother. I had Christian when I was 19 years old. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. So I get this diagnosis, I'm told about all these services and supports, OT, speech therapy, ABA, special education. Okay, you need to have an IEP meeting in early intervention. I went, okay, what's that? <laughs> what's an IEP? And here we're at this table with all of these people. And on the other side is me. So Absolutely. You just described pretty much a parent's worst nightmare, right? That yeah, their child absolutely. has a meltdown and 
somebody intervenes with authorities yes. and you lose your child, nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. You don't even know what's going on. Whoa. You're just trying to do your best. Yes. And it, and it just everything came crashing down around you. So I want to I want to jump ahead and just give people hope of like when you find out who Catherine is and what she does and where she's at now and all of that, you know, you had that worst nightmare happen and you have a lot of positive things that have come from where you were to where you're at now that allows you to help others. So I want to make sure that everybody knows that there's going to be links to your book, to your uh, website, your Instagram, all the places where they can connect with you because what you just described is so much of what not just the parents feel, but now teachers are feeling that too. They're feeling fearful for their students, you know, when the police come by or when the neighbor doesn't understand what's happening. This is so prevalent that people don't say, hey, can I help you? And instead they say, how can I stop whatever's happening right here? And I think a lot of us in our community of who we are now, we know we either have been or would be that person that says, hey, can I help you? But most people don't get it because they've only seen that clip of Rain Man or that 2020 segment or that one social media post that got put out there by a large organization that says, hey, uh, you know, bright lights might bother a child with autism. Like, that's yeah. all they know. Yeah. And so if that's all you know, you have nothing to base it on. And you might ask, how can I help? Maybe you're coming and asking the right question. But then it's when they tell you how to help, you go, I don't know if I can do that. Right, right, right. Exactly. Okay. So you end up at the IEP table. Um, tell us how old is your son now? And let's talk about, I know you're extremely passionate about this self-advocacy piece yes. and making sure that your son has a voice. And I can hear that in a way of, you didn't have a voice when all of this no. started. You had to find your Neither. voice Neither. and now you help him have a voice. So yes. So tell us, how old is he? And then how does the self-advocacy piece really start to develop? Yes. So let me, you see this? I'm pressing my invisible fast forward button. So yeah. today, um, Christian is 23 years old. And truly, Catherine, we had him at meetings as early as we could. I am a huge proponent for part of self-advocacy is bringing that student to the table as early as possible. It is never, ever, ever too early. No matter what the method of communication is, I was very fortunate. My son developed verbal skills quite fluently after the age of five. But I believe everybody has a voice and uses it in their own way, whether it is a device, a picture, sign, verbal communication. We need to push self-advocacy as early as possible. And we did that for Chris. And he was a part of his planning all throughout you know, what he received in school, what he received in private therapies and through ABA treatment, everything that he did he was always part of that. And that is part of what has created this life that he lives today. So today at age 23, after years of support and truly an amazing team, an amazing village, he is now working full time as a program aide for people with autism and intellectual disabilities. He is giving back to people who've experienced some of what he has experienced. He drives there in his own vehicle, took years to get there, but we got there. Mama didn't teach him to drive. Let me just put that out there. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. I know my strengths and that is not one of them. 
<laughs> but he he has a car and he drives to work and he's actually able to showcase some of his talents and his work so for example they let him teach music he is very musically inclined that's a hobby of his and he also played in the school in the band he played several instruments so he's actually teaching people music and sometimes he does a bible reading some of them are very religious so he brings in his bible he does arts and crafts with them he also loves cooking. Um, again, referring back to strengths and weaknesses, my son is the cook, Miss Kathy is not. <laughs> so sometimes they're doing, you know, baking or they're doing different recipes and teaching some of those life skills. So he's able to bring his talents and skills and show what he knows and then give that back to other people. So, you know, he has he learned that from his mama? Gosh, I, I sure hope so. I'd like to think so. <laughs> And truly what I do today, I have emerged into a servant leader myself, and I am able to give back to parents and caregivers just like me. So I now do speaking and training. I am a leader at a community organization. You can see my logo here, Achieving True Self. We are a provider of ABA and different waiver services and training and consultation, and we are throughout the Northeastern US. So this is where I am during the day as their director of family support community engagement. And then I have my own business, The Caffeinated Advocate, which started as a blog and just sharing our story and emerged into a business. So I'm writing and editing and helping other people share their stories. I also coach caregivers. I'm a certified master life coach. And I also do speaking and training just through my own business as the caffeinated advocate. So as you can see, I wear two hats, but it took me years to get that voice and to teach my own son to have that voice. But I think it's important to remember as parents, caregivers, teachers, paras, we need to demonstrate and show that example, and we need to give them that voice so they can live their best life and truly be a part of their community. And in our case, Christian is also giving back to the community. I love that. And I love that you paired it together, that this finding your voice, you as a mom, was a journey. Mm -hmm. Finding Christian's voice has been a journey. Yes. It continues to be a journey. It's not a one and done. I figured this out. This is a constant evolution. Mm -hmm. And that is a very normal or typical thing to be going through. We're all finding our place yes. of where we belong and who we want to connect and how do we want to be part of the community. Mm -hmm. So if we look back at the IEP table and we look at Christian having a voice in his programming inside of that school community, what are some things that he has taught you through empowering him through self-advocacy? Well, I'm going to give you a prime example. And I think you know what story I'm talking about as from our previous conversations. But I want to tell all of our guests today about a story of one of Christian's late almost high school IEP meetings. So this was a spring meeting and we come together and we're going through all the goals and objectives, have that taken care of. So then we get to the supplemental support and then we look at the social skills group that he's a part of and he raised his hand. Of course, the mom and me is like, oh crap, what's he gonna say? <laughs> Part of me was kind of like, <laughs> and he says, Miss Phillips, I want to disenroll in the social skills group. And I'm like, huh? You wanna give up a support? And of course, like, you know, that IEP power parent in me is like, no, 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 don't give up something that I really think is good for you. But here was one of my biggest, biggest, biggest self advocacy moments. Christian looked at all of us and said, the only thing we have in common is we're autistic. He said, and that other kid, Joey, I don't even like him. 
The only thing they had in common was their diagnosis. He said, why am I doing this? I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It makes me anxious and it doesn't help me. So here was this moment where I think we all learned together that just because we think something is the right support because it may have worked for somebody else, or maybe it works for those other three boys that were in that group, it didn't work for Chris. It made him anxious. It upset him. And then threw off his whole school day. So why would he then be a part of it? So I was love powerful. Yes, I love it so much because, you know, your son is like, why am I being forced to be friends with people that I don't want to be friends with? Okay, first of all, that's like the best social awareness to realize, like, the reason this isn't working is because these are not my people. Like, so what if we all have blonde hair? So what if we all have, you know, whatever it is, we all read the same book. So what? So you know, if we all have autism, I don't have to be your friend and I don't want to be your friend. And I don't like you. (laughs) That was the coolest thing was he was like, I don't even like him. (laughs) There are some people that are listening, some teachers and parents that just had the biggest aha moment of like, oh, my goodness. And here's the thing. That was not whoever was running that social group, whether it was the teacher or the social worker, you know, maybe the OT and the speech were popping in there. Whoever was running that, this was not their fault. They weren't defaulting in in like, oh, they're not running a good group. Oh, they don't have the right supports. Oh, they don't have this. This was not anybody's fault except for your son is an individual who needed to have a voice to say, this is not working for me. Right. Right. So what are some things? Okay. So that that's high school. And I love that. Um, if I was in the classroom still now, like when I'm thinking back to the teacher that I was like 20 years ago, I would have taken this information and looked at everything through a different lens. Like when a child was not, um, appropriately asking the friend to play on the playground. Maybe they don't like the friend. (laughs) Maybe they don't like the activity. Maybe they don't like these things. But we think about like, you know, oh, they like um, climbing the slide. So why don't they go climb the slide with this friend? Mm -hmm. And we're trying to force this and it could just not be the right person at the right time with the right activity. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So are there some things that you can think of maybe when he was a little bit younger and that, you know, we can kind of give that elementary or maybe early middle school parent some insight? All right. Yeah, I have another moment in mind. So the most amazing teacher who to this day still sends my son cards every holiday. Sometimes she'll send a little gift card like for ice cream at the local ice cream shop or something like that. She never forgets him. Um, Our third grade teacher was an angel. And she picked up on several things that Chris would need. And she could just read him. She could just read his face. And something she did for him was she offered him a private gym class. She wasn't a gym teacher, okay? By no means physical in any way or good at sports. But she did a private gym class with Chris because she saw, as she observed him in gym class, he was either last to be picked or he just wasn't really good at it and wasn't enjoying it. Sports has really never been his thing. I mean, now today he shoots hoops with folks, but he's not, you know, he's not athletically inclined. So she picked up on this and she did a group with some peers, um, neurotypical and also diagnosed. And at the time when the kids went to gym, she gave up her break and planning period to do her own little class with the kids in another room or they walked the halls or they went outside when the weather was nice. 
And they did their own little class because I remember there was one day she said he was in class and he just looked at everyone and just said too much. Here was him using his voice again in very simplistic terms, right? Very simplistic, but he made it very clear, this is just too much for me. So whether it was, I don't understand the rules of the game, I'm the last to be picked, I don't get it, it's too fast paced. He summed it all up by saying, too much. So right. outside of the IEP, she thinks on her feet and goes, I need to figure out something that works for this kid because he's not the only one. So she gathered a group and she did it herself. That's amazing. And I love it. I love that both of those stories show mm -hmm. where he was just like, stop. Like you stop guys, it. stop. Yeah. Stop. It's all, we always want to do more. We want to serve more. We want to make sure the yeah. kids are surrounded. We want to make sure that they're engaged. And sometimes, you know what? It's just too much. It is. And, and like you said before, everybody means well. I mean, I'd like to think anyways. I mean, we've heard our horror stories. We know we've supported parents through this ourselves, but I'd like to believe that everybody means well, you know, everyone wants to do the right thing, but sometimes we just don't know how or what to do. But when we actually listen, whether it's we're reading the signs on someone's face or we're watching a self-stimulatory behavior as someone's trying to comfort themselves or whether they're using verbal speech, they can clue us in if we pay attention enough to what they're saying, what they need. Yes. And so let's talk about, so we have this self-advocacy where your son is speaking up and all of this can be integrated fully into that IEP process. But there's another piece that I know you tackle um, in both your roles as the cabinet advocate and in your current role. And we're talking a lot about staff and communication with staff and what's happening. Um, but there's this peer-to-peer -peer thing that happens, unfortunately, called bullying. Absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of that... Um, that I'm anticipating is going to be coming up at a whole new level because we have been out of school for so long. Thanks. 2020. Oh, yes. Yep. Now we have anxiety to go back in. Yes. We have some kids that are not going to be able to follow the new rules that are going to be in class, even in, you know, the fall when we go back. Yes. Um, and, and if we're listening to, if you're listening to this like years later, it doesn't matter that it was, I'm talking about 2020. There's always new rules. There's always new things happening. There's always a change in the building. There's always a change in the teacher. So we're just talking about a significant change. There's a significant change that's coming up that is going to definitely showcase some of the differences that some of our children have diagnosis that they that they have. So yeah. what are some piece of advice that you might give to a teacher or a parent um, who might, you know, be thinking about like, is this bullying that's happening? Does this qualify? What does this really look like? What can I do next? Or even what to pay attention and look for? Sure. So um, within my current role, um, I have a partnership with our nationally certified trainer through an anti-bullying program, and we support several schools and districts and organizations in the area. So we believe that it needs to be organizational. I also personally am a huge proponent for that, that parents need to be partners and that, you know, as teachers, as leaders, as administrative people, we need to come together and create a safe environment. We need to know everyone's role in bullying. And a key to this is recognizing that everybody has a role. There is not one person that doesn't have a role in bullying incidents. There's always those bystanders, right? You have your victim, you have your bully, you have your people that encourage the bully, you have your people that wanna support the victim but aren't quite sure how. Everybody has a role. So to say there's not bullying happening in my building or bullying happening on our Zoom meetings, 
absolutely false. We know that things are happening. We know that bullying is possible 24 seven, 365 with technology. We know it's just gotten worse over the years with more and more apps and more and more opportunities. And especially with the pandemic, we know that this has been going on and we know that we have hundreds, thousands of kids that are going to be scared to go back into a building again to face them after there's been so much bullying going on online, right? And now they have to go back and they have to go face to face with them. And there's so much fear and there's so much anxiety. So we've seen an uptick in our requests for presentations and setting up programs because people want to be prepared for the fall of 2021, because we know that it is going to be a different environment. And I believe, like you said, even if someone's watching this in 2025, there's always going to be new rules. There's always going to be things happening. And the more proactive we are as a group to make a safer environment for our kids, the better off we're going to be. So what does that strategy look like? So let's just say I've got a sixth grader mm -hmm. who's been on Zoom meetings and mm -hmm. they have been bullied. Like that chat mm -hmm. box, that private chat box, those mm -hmm. texts that are flying back and forth that are not on Zoom, but it's happening while they're mm -hmm. you know, in Zoom. There's uh, Instagram DMs that are happening, the TikTok message. Mm -hmm. All this stuff is happening mm -hmm. simultaneously. So yeah. I've got the sixth grader who's scared. He wants nothing more than to be part of the school community, mm -hmm. but gosh, this has been tough and it's going to be tough. What kind of supports or what do we put in to make this transition happen in a positive way or at least as best as we can make this? We try to hold open discussions in what we call our classroom meetings. So we have meetings with students. We have meetings with teachers and paras to, you know, to really have those open and very candid conversations and have conversations amongst the students. If a student is uncomfortable having a one on one with the student that was bullying them, obviously you're not going to force that. That's not putting them in a safe environment or enhancing their mental health in any way. But we want to make sure that they have the supports they need. But also we do offer supports for the bully themselves. And we try to find out the why, what, what is going on? Is there something happening in the home environment that we're not aware of? Is something going on in school that maybe we haven't picked up on? So we're having those separate meetings and one-on-ones when we can, but we wanna make sure that each person has support but we also have meetings together, you know, enhancing kindness and talking about how we can support one another and truly strategizing together. Is Absolutely. The way we address it. You know, you said something that reminded me. I was I was um on YouTube giving some, I don't know, talk about bullying came up right. and um a parent's, you know, you could hear the sadness in the comment and she says, "What do you do if your child is the one who is the bully?" Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard place too because that does happen just because a child has an IEP, just because they have a label, doesn't mean that they're always gonna be the victim. Sometimes they have inappropriate social behaviors themselves. And yeah. I just wanna give some encouragement that in case yeah. that listener is listening, you know, in that that you're, you're like, yeah, like my child's the one that kind of makes the other kids mad or doesn't yeah. treat them well, that yeah. there's supports for you too that we can absolutely find. Yes. Part of, you know, going back to some of my own personal experience, there was a period of time where Christian wasn't the one being bullied and he almost turned into a bully himself. And it was a time that he truly didn't understand his diagnosis and thought, I'm not like them until he understood, hey, I'm kind of one of them, but my them looks different than their them. So part of self-advocacy, I think that's so important is helping someone understand what their diagnosis is. And I know for some families, and especially in some cultures, that's difficult, that we don't want to have those conversations and mental health or any diagnosis is seen as a weakness. 
But I think the more we can equip our kids with knowledge about who they are and empower them, that's also going to take away from that need to feel empowered by bullying somebody else. It also helps empower them to stand up to someone when they are being bullied. So I think when we're truly giving people a sense of self, that that also helps us with combating this bullying behavior. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to leave the conversation there. I want everybody to know that um, Catherine is going to be a special guest teacher inside of the Special Education Inner Circle. That's where we take this conversation next level. It's where we get kind of nerdy about that whole IEP process. What do those accommodations and modifications really look like? What does a good goal look like when it comes to this social piece, self-advocacy piece, making sure that your child is part of that school community from the time they step off the bus to the time that they arrive home, making sure that all of the details are done. That's what we do inside of the Special Education Inner Circle. I'm going to encourage you, if you're not a member of the Special Education Inner Circle, to hop over to specialedinnercircle.com so you can get access to this next level of strategy that you need as a parent and teacher to make sure that all children are part of the school community and they have a voice, both in their IEP meeting and out on the playground. And then make sure that you go click on Catherine's links here, go get her book, go follow her on Instagram, go send her a DM, let her know that you appreciated the conversation that you heard today. And Catherine, just thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, it's been wonderful. All right, everyone, we'll talk soon.